Hey, I'm Steph Farrar. And I'm Sam Farrar. And this is a job fair podcast. A job cast. Where you shop for work. <laughs> it's work shopping. I mean, I feel like Lee, I think I think we have the longest running relationship of anybody in my life wow. in LA. Really? In LA? I can't Longer remember. Than Lola? No, I, I guess I met Ned and Lola before we met. Yeah. Is that right? Probably. I mean, because yeah. you, you think you were one year behind me? Yes. So I would have been a sophomore. Yeah. And I didn't meet Lola until soft, my sophomore yeah. year. Yeah. In case anyone's curious, Steph went to SMU with Lee and yes. a bunch of other friends. And they all moved to LA. And then my group of friends, all our us weird mm-hmm. uh, nerdy music types, all met, <laughs> all met the SMU crew and we all merged and it was great. <laughs> and we're all still friends. We have an enormous group of friends. It's yeah, great. this SMU crew got really lucky. We, like, <laughs> yeah. we slithered into an amazing existing <laughs> group of friends mm-hmm. in LA. <clears throat> but only the, only the strong, cool ones survived the SMU experience and found, we found our way out yeah. here. So I don't know if you've heard our podcast, but we have a start question and an end question, and then everything in between is whatever. Okay. <laughs> Just so you know. And the starting question is, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Oh, well, I think the first thing that I ever really wanted to be was an actor. Mm-hmm. Oh. And that was kind of like, well, I mean, I flirted with, I'll probably be a doctor. That was like in the cards, but I think I wanted to be an actor even before that. And that was the very first thing. Is there, I, was there an actor in particular that was like... Oh, yeah. James Dean. James oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I like read... Like my dad had like a James Dean book or something that I discovered at 12. And I like read that book and I was like, I want to be this guy. <laughs> was it a coffee table book or like a... <laughs> that like was a biography. Biography, yeah. yeah. it was just like, the, he's like the coolest the cool, thing. Yeah. The coolest guy. Um, Did you start that, smoking at 12? <laughs> uh, I think it was a couple of years later. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah. So then that kind of, I was like, well, I want to like play around with this. And when I got to high school, kind of fell into theater and, and I'd always been pretty like creative as a kid, Mm -hmm. like just like to draw a lot. And Mm -hmm. so then like kind of that fueled just a love for acting and, and high school. And I, you know, did all the musicals and plays and, uh, then kind of on a lark, speaking of SMU, it was like they had a really, really good theater program right. at the time. And, and I was like, well, I'll audition for SMU. Because SMU wasn't really a school that I was considering because mm-hmm. it was in my backyard. Right. And I wanted to go somewhere far away. Because like, you grew up in Dallas. Yeah. I was like, I'll yeah. go to NYU or Notre Dame yeah. or UCLA or somewhere that's like far from here. So, but I was like, I'll audition and I won't get in because they only took like 20 kids. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have scratched the itch and I'll move on. And then I got in. Yeah. And, and SMU is like, a really competitive theater school. That's, that's I, awesome. From yeah. what I recall. Yeah. It was I mean, really I don't know what it is now, but at the time. At the time, it was a big deal. I think, like, I think they had like a thousand kids yeah. audition and they took 20. And so you were one of them. I have to like see Damn. this through now. Yeah. So, well, one of the things that kind of promised my parents, I was like, if I go to do an arts degree, I'll also get a real degree. <laughs> <laughs> So there it is. Get yeah. your backup degree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a real degree, which is yeah. actually like a really good segue into this conversation. Totally. Because like as totally. a sixteen-year-old, the other thing I always really liked a lot was stocks. Mm-hmm. I used to take really? out the newspaper. Oh, and you liked like, it? Yeah, sure? oh. yeah. Like I think I opened my first, you know, E-Trade account or whatever it was at the time. Like when I was like sixteen, you know. And uh, I remember opening up the newspaper, the stock pages, yeah. you know, and like, I remember the very first stock I ever bought. I, I picked it the absolute worst possible way. <laughs> it was like, what went up the most yesterday? That must be a good one. <laughs> it's hot. I'm going to buy United Rentals, <laughs> you know. And how'd you do on that one? I totally lost no. money. <laughs> I bought it and it went down. Um, but uh, so like, you know, I kind of was like, okay, well, I'll do my, my theater degree. And then I also got a finance degree at the same time. And I think at this at the time, I don't. I think I'm actually not the only one at this point. But I think I was the very first person to ever have that double major right. at SMU. <laughs> wow. And um, so then after kind of through my my years in theater, I kind of figured out. I came out here and to kind of like see what LA was like because I kind of always 
wanted to move to LA. Like right. that was another thing I knew really early at like 13 was I wanted to move to LA. Is that because of a, well, because of the acting, but also like an entertainment business? Entertainment. There just was something that was so exotic and amazing about California mm-hmm. that I just was like pulled, you know? California. Yeah. California. <laughs> Somebody I know wrote a song about California. Yeah. yeah. So while I was at SMU doing theater, I kind of came out here to like see some friends and check out LA. And, and somewhere along the line, I kind of started to realize that you know, what I really liked about acting was live theater. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like being on stage. And when I started to really like see what actors do in film and TV, I just knew that wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Oh, interesting. And, and, uh, but I also knew I didn't want to move to New York and do live theater because just I knew how hard that was. And that's so tough, tough life. Yeah. I was like, that, that's not really the lifestyle I want either. Right. And so I was kind of like, well, what, what, what do I do? And I wanted to continue doing something creative, but at the same time, I really kind of like was enjoying my business degree and, and had always liked kind of being entrepreneurial. And so around that time, probably like my junior year in college, I was like, well, I don't, I don't really know what a producer does exactly, but it sounds good. And it's both, I think it's both creative and it's got like a business side mm-hmm. to it. So like, I think I'm going to try to figure out how to, do that yeah. like that sounds like a good marriage I like that you didn't know what it was but <laughs> Don't, like, I mean I had like a generalized idea <laughs> yeah. but like I didn't like you know really know I mean half the people in the movie business don't know what Still a producer don't know. is yeah. you know? would you say in college like you because a double major is tricky you uh-huh. know just like you're you know dealing with your time and your schedule and stuff that you spent the the bulk of your time at the beginning of college more in theater, and then it it, it sort of veered yeah, more towards I finance. Yeah, w- I would say I would say the first two years of, of college, and especially the and especially because my sophomore year was like a conservatory year. Okay, those were very right. theater intense, um, and I think it was probably somewhere around that midpoint in college where I started to kind of I I know my path is kind of a little bit off of what I'm doing right. here. Right, but I wanted to go ahead and finish it. Yeah. And, you know, kind of see it through. So yeah, so I, I finished once I finished college, I uh, I got a job in Dallas in in finance, said to save my money because right. I knew I was gonna like come out here and and Blow not know all. what the hell I was gonna do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was like, I'll st- I you know I'd started working this job my senior year in college as a commercial paper trader. Okay, and commercial paper is something that most people have never heard of, but nope. basically companies, really big companies, they have to raise daily operating capital every day. And so I would basically go to work as a 22-year-old, and I worked as part of like a six-person team that would raise about a billion dollars every single day. And we would sell commercial paper to like giant pension funds. So like uh, CalPERS was one of our, was one of the people I'd deal with all the time, or like LADWP I would deal with every day. And basically like we'd call them and we'd say like, hey, you know, we're offering this rate on, you know, this basically 24 hour loan. You loan us the money for a day and then we'll pay it back to you tomorrow with a little bit of interest. And when you're talking about pension funds that are like having to, you know, place hundreds of millions of dollars every day, they can't just allow it sit in their checking account overnight. It's right. too much of a cost. So that's what I do every day. And every day we'd raise a billion dollars and then the next day we'd pay it back and raise another billion dollars. And that is so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and like I was making pretty good money as a 22 year old like doing this. And I was still in school. Yeah. yeah, I was finishing my finance degree as well. And basically once I've got my, my finance degree done, I just kind of continued to do that for like another year or so, year and a half. And mm-hmm. I lived at home with my folks and saved my money. And um, then I think I was dating a girl at SMU at the time. And then when that ended, I was like, all right, it's time to pack up the U-Haul. <laughs> and uh, that was May of 99. Or maybe it was like June. I'm like at my 22nd anniversary Yeah, we, right we moved now. here yeah. the exact same time. I yeah. moved here right after I graduated. So moved out here, here. And then was like, okay, now what do I do? And I obviously moved in down the street from Ned. Yeah. Which is fantastic. With, that was our first With Craig episode. Weaver. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, you and Craig were roommates. Yeah. Craig yeah. Were, we were roommates. Craig right, still right. lives there. And uh, so then I, I was like, okay, now, now I'm here, but now what do I do? And so I started temping. I got like my application in at a temp agency. I think my first job was at the E-Network in their promotions department, like <laughs> stuffing pencils into gift bags. And they were like, do you want to stay on full time? And I was like, no. Nope. 
No, thank you. I, was, I have Oscars to win, people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Didn't Ben work, do hair at the E Network too? I think he did. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that, and that was like right across Ch- from the Chad Hamilton live. He worked at E too. Like everybody Chad started did? at E. Yeah, oh, I think E man. was like we'll just hire anybody. Right. Um, and uh, then uh, I kind of like went back into the tent pool, and then I got placed at the Gersh Agency, and I stayed there for like six months and worked for. Uh, awful boss as an as an assistant yeah as an yeah. assistant and then um left that job and then kind of got a little bit of a break i got hired by john davis to be his assistant mm-hmm. and john like you know this is the late right around 99 i guess it was 99 still but he had done like predator and like all these big movies that i grew up on so i felt like this was like a pretty cool place and how did that happen was that through the temp agency that was or just, i just sent in a resume yeah. to the uta job list and got an interview and then got a second interview and then got the job. Does um, that job list still exist? I think it does. Does still it? Exist. I remember yeah. it was a big deal to have yeah, it was access hard to, get. to that. It was hard yeah. To get. So I was with John for like six months and the job was going really, really well. I wasn't making like crap for money. Oh, really? Um, yeah, no, he paid terrible. Oh, and they even said up yeah. front, they were like, by the way, you know, the pay here stinks and don't expect to get promoted <laughs> because like we just don't do that. And I was right. like, that's cool. I'll just, it's great resume builder. <laughs> and, uh, but then I had, I had um, you know, been nurturing a relationship with uh, a family friend whose name was Bonnie Curtis. Mm-hmm. And Bonnie had been working for Steven Spielberg for like 15 years. She started as assistant and kind of worked her way up to, you know, co-producer and producer. Crazy. And, you know, I was always kind of like courting Bonnie. I'd like, you know, send her a Christmas card <laughs> or something. And then she invited me to come out to Amblin to interview. And I wore my little like suit and tie and everything, you know, yeah. that like I was taught to do as a Dallas kid <laughs> when you go to a job interview. She khakis on? I told khaki suit, tan suit. <laughs> oh, not even like the Navy wow. blazer. Barack Obama tan suit. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then one day, so I'm working for John and it's going really well. And one day Bonnie calls and she's like, hey, so we have, we have an opening. And, you know, would you like to come work for me and Steven and be like my assistant and his assistant? Let me think work? about it. Yeah, no, I, I was used to joke and say it was like the old Bugs Bunny cartoon or like Wally Coyote <laughs> where like the phone was still hanging, hanging in the air. And I was like, there's like a cloud <laughs> yeah. of smoke. Clouds. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and those like, the, that was like right around 2000. It was peak DreamWorks. DreamWorks was Man. new, but not like they've been around for like two or three years. And, yeah. You know, Steven had just done Saving Private Ryan. It was just like the heyday of that era. And it was so unbelievable as a 23, 24-year-old Crazy. idiot yeah. to be able to, like, hang around with him and Kathy Kennedy and Janusz Kaminski and, like, all these people who were just, like, peak of their game. Yeah, killing it. And uh, we were, like, really part of his ecosystem for about three years through, like, AI Minority Report. And then Bonnie ended up kind of transitioning to more of like a producer at DreamWorks. Mm -hmm. And I went with her to like be her executive. Um, And we did that for about another three years. And then the world got turned upside down Mm -hmm. by the financial Financial crisis crisis, of 2007, 2008. And all of a sudden studios just started cutting their producer deals left and right. And because Bonnie was no longer really kind of like under the umbrella of protection of Steven anymore, her deal just got... It didn't get renewed, essentially. Yeah, just fizzled. And so all of a sudden, I woke up one day, and I was like, I've been here for six years, and like all of a sudden, my job's gone. Yeah. I thought I was going to like be at DreamWorks for 40 years and like get the gold watch and do the whole thing, because that's just the world I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden, I was just back at square one. And I was like, well, I guess I could go get like, maybe I go try to get like a development job somewhere. And and where in, in all of this six years where did acting fall for you just to the wayside or sort of like you know i think i'm good i had a great ride at school learned a lot loved it but it's it it was time to become the producer and move in that direction yeah it was definitely like i I wanted to produce right like that was for sure the goal so at that point i went on a couple interviews for like development level jobs and didn't really want it didn't get it and of course being fairly headstrong confident was like i know how to produce movies Mm -hmm. we produced this independent movie and like I could do this. And so I just like, I had sold my condo and made a fortune on it for a 25 year old. Yes. I remember that condo on 
San, San Vicente. Vicente. Yes. Yeah, right below like the Whiskey A Go Go. It was really nice. Whoa. You were like the first person who owned anything in our friend group, <laughs> like actually bought something. <laughs> Real estate went through the roof, you, you just know. Made like a fortune. I mean, now it's not a fortune, right. but at the time it was a lot of money mm-hmm. for a twenty five year old. And and it was kind of the thing that allowed me to finance this my independent producing career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took me a couple of years to really get my feet under me and find a project that I thought I could get done and and then I I finally got my first movie was this movie Beautiful Boy mm-hmm. which we got made and and enjoyed a pretty good amount of I would say critical success festival success um, with that movie and then from there you know I kept doing it for about fourteen more years just yeah. as an independent like on on my own like no other help type of producer and. And got about, tw- I think, tw- 12 movies, 12 Made. features. Man. Um, and, you know, had three movies at Sundance and had a you know, movie win some big awards at TIFF mm-hmm. and South by Southwest. And, you know, all these, like, hallmarks of this is... Success. You're doing it. Yeah. You know? yeah. But as much as, like, I was getting movies made and, like, it was its own level of success, I, I started to realize that it wasn't a sustainable business mm-hmm. um, and that the, the model of being an independent producer wasn't financially viable for me. Um, and so like I kind of, and at the same time as, as I got older, as I got married and started to have kids, like the stakes also started to get a lot mm-hmm. higher too, because now all of a sudden it's, well, if this can't find a way to kind of be really like financially viable, like what's the next 40 years mm-hmm. yeah. and what, are, how's that going to affect my kids? How's that going to affect my relationship with my wife? And, and also like the else? level of like hustle it takes to oh, really, God. you're like at, at the work in the grind. The level like, of daily. hustle. I used to say every time I get a movie made, I, I would say it feels like climbing to the third step of Mount Everest, which is about 10 meters from like the top of Mount yeah. Everest. Except when I got to the third step, there was an escalator that took me back down to the bottom. <laughs> and then I had to like climb the whole freaking mountain again. And At least you didn't have to walk like, down. You know, just that 10 more feet to like that place. God, you know? what and, a great image. And so it was just, I think by the, you know, after like movie 10 and having gone through this cycle of like, you know, you, you get it made and you get, you know, everybody involved, it's done and it gets in a great festival and it's like right there. And yeah. like, you know, is it going to get, you know, is it going to turn in this giant thing? And then like, that would be kind of and it. Then and then I'd go yeah. and have to like start over. And, and, and I always thought like, well, if I get one more movie made, it'll get easier. Mm-hmm. And it just it never, did. never did. Yeah. And maybe so, harder. It got, oh, definitely harder. Yeah. As the as you know, the Netflixes and mm-hmm. the Amazons came in, the world started to change, and you know everything started to become more TV centric mm-hmm. and limited series centric, and that was just not my world. I was a feature person. Oh, do you mean that by the way that that financially speaking, you, you it felt like you were never going to get to a certain spot, or that you just felt like there was no satisfaction because as soon as you were done, you had to do do it all over again? Let me put it this way: I read an article not long ago with an independent producer who. She summed it up really well because she was saying, like, if I had known that most of what my job was was to, like, launch other people's careers mm-hmm. without yeah. ever launching my own, okay, I probably wouldn't have done it. And she also quoted in that article that, and I don't know where she got this figure, but she said the average independent producer makes $25,000 a year. Oh, wow. It's a great living for, yeah. for wow. an 18-year-old. And so much work. <laughs> yeah. So and much so work. much work. $25,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah, and I I was doing better than that, but like it just wasn't what I wanted long term. And so by the end, like for the last two years, I don't think my heart was really in it. Mm -hmm. And I think I had just become so kind of disillusioned by kind of the process of it all. Mm -hmm. And that it was like, why am I like burning myself out? And did you find yourself like the last... Uh, I'll focus on like the last four or five years, kind of doing the same things. We're going to do the same festivals the same circuit yeah, the same promotion a little bit right a little yeah. bit and and we did i did have a couple of movies that you know even the movie that i did with amy that um you know was a was a legitimate success mm-hmm. which is you know no good deed it opened it was the number one movie in the country Unreal. the weekend it opened yeah and hugely profitable for the studio and i didn't see any of that no yeah not a dime I mean, I had my fee, but I didn't have any back end on it. Yeah. You know, they basically were kind of like, we'll throw you a bone. And, 
you know, it's just like, even, even when it is a big success, it's not a big success. I was going to ask, <laughs> you know? what's, a, what's the biggest, just give me an example of a really big indie movie. I'm trying to think. Um, well, the where, where you can make money in an indie movie is if you can, if you can finance it and produce it for nothing, nothing. for a small amount, and then you can sell it at Sundance for $20 million. So, but for a small amount today, what's a small amount for an independent film? Like a small amount for an independent film when we were, you know. And what our twenties and thirties was probably a million or two million dollars. Yeah, I made movies. Like Fifteen. I made. I think the least expensive movie I made was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay. And then the most expensive movie I made was thirteen million dollars. Okay. And yeah. I would say the average indie is probably still in that like three to five range. Okay. Like that's like a. De- it's like a. It's not a nothing budget, but it's also still like not a big budget. Yeah. And then you sell it for you said twenty million. If you can do yeah. that, then like yeah. But even then, like. That yeah. okay, great. You did that one time. What now? How long is that going to last? Yeah, you know. And so, so yeah. So I just hit that point where I was like, I think I've outgrown this, uh-huh. and I have no idea what I'm qualified to do, or what I want to do, or what else is out there. Mm-hmm. And all my relationships are all in like this world, this theater. This, I mean, this um, film world. I don't even like know how to get out at this point, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been having lunch with my financial advisor one day who is, you know, our age and is actually lives like right down here. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, he's cool. an awesome guy. And uh, I was saying to him like, hey, listen, like I'm kind of thinking about pivoting and I have no idea what I want to do. <laughs> and I was like, but the things that like I find myself really caring about are I care about the environment. Mm-hmm. I care about sustainability. I care about social justice. Like, like I really like I love working with people. It was one of the things I hated the most about my job as an independent mm-hmm. producer was I didn't ever get to like deal with people. And I'm a pretty social person. Mm-hmm. So like I like working in teams and and, you know, really like wanted I hoped that my job as a producer was going to allow, was going to give me an opportunity to like change somebody's life through storytelling. Because I think as a kid, you know, I really struggled in high school and I think, you know, dealt with, I don't know if it was like typical depression Mm -hmm. or, or atypical depression, but, um, I found a lot of like, kind of like solace in movies and in those stories. And so I, I really was hoping like I could give that to somebody else. Um, and so when I, I sat down with Spencer and was like, if you, you know, you deal with all these people and all these other like lines of work, if like you ever come across something that, that involves these themes, like, you know, let me know. And like a week later, Spencer called back and he was like, hey, so we have an outside the box idea for you. Mm, that's so cool. I- and I was like, he's like, you want to have lunch? And I was kind of like. And this is right at 14 okay. years of filmmaking. Yeah. Like, you're like, I was probably I think like, I'm- I was like 41 and I just had a really bad experience. I mean, I, I we could do a whole other podcast on, on the your, number of times you get shivved in the back by people that man. you're supposed to. Like, I mean, that's sort of care stuff with. That I wouldn't mind talking about it if you want, just because I yeah. think it's important for people to hear. I, we were saying that it, the details of the like details what it nice. actually yeah. looks like. I feel a lot of people look at our creative lives as enviable. Yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of frustrating shit that. Yeah. Happen. Well, I mean, there's there's I could tell you about the story where I, you know, produced a movie. And after basically about half of the production was done, the financier turned to me and said, we're not going to pay you the other half of your fee. And I said, why? And they said, because the movie, the movie's like too expensive and we don't think we're going to recoup on it basically. And we know it's not enough for you to sue us over. <gasps> to your face. Yeah. That They're like we know we like we know it will cost you more to sue us than it will for you to like basically not get paid. That's the shittiest thing I've heard. <laughs> and in a while. that's a terrible thing to say. And to wow. and you know I had like already cut my fee and cut my fee and cut my fee and like I think my fee on that movie was only like fifty thousand dollars or yeah. something. And they just didn't pay the other half. If they were like, if you really want to sue us, come sue us. And I talked to yeah. attorneys and litigators and people are like, oh, you'll win, but like at what cost? And like, these are the, you're right, Sam, these are the stories that like people who are listening to this to like consider being an independent producer yeah, you haven't and sold filmmaker. That one very well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, uh, what did you like? What, let me ask you, yeah, what, did you, the what do you love about being a producer? Right. This guy, I mean, um, looking back. Because we will veer into what was next. <laughs> yeah. Sorry yeah, to no, interrupt. You know, there, honestly, so looking curious. back, I think it was, I, I think, I think I had created an identity for myself around this mm. and yeah. and i i don't know that it was ever a good fit for me mm. right um but i think i had decided it's who i was 
And so I really like I I was having a really hard time letting go of that. Ah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, you know, so I just I had so much of my own ego wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. And so that and that was this thing. And like I would say, you know, obviously there are people out there who who find a way to like make it work, but you know, it, it is extraordinarily hard. And I would encourage anyone who's thinking about it to call me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's go have lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you still want to do it, go do it. And that's actually but, like, like <laughs> great advice. I think for in, in this industry in general is to like really like pick apart people's brains who have done it. Yeah. And, and both the, have, and have had good and bad. Experiences yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. assuming everyone has had good and bad experiences yeah. with making films. I mean, you, you had know? to have a bunch of good ones in order to keep going for 14 right. years. I did. But. Yeah, I did. I worked with a lot of amazing people. I had some movies that I made that I'm so proud of yeah. to this day. Yeah. And like, wouldn't give that up for anything and i think ultimately like it was something i needed to go through as a human being to like evolve into like where i'm at now totally and the the beauty of that is like i think i'm a happier healthier like more stable person now than i've been like in my entire life so yeah whatever it took for me to get here like that was just my journey right and and weirdly they're kind of similar Sort of similar, I should say, Mm -hmm. because you're still dealing with finances and Mm -hmm. organizing Mm -hmm. and putting things in place for people. Yeah. So it it may sort of make sense that you went into there, but you just don't have to deal with a bunch of backstabbing thieves that want to take your movies. Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty much it. Hey, so one of my favorite lines from a TV show is when Natasha Leone in Russian Dolls says, hey, guys, let's go make some choices. And I want to tell you something. I went into SMU with the desire to be a professional athlete. Soccer got me there. I left SMU with a double major in film and English and a one-way ticket to Los Angeles. My unsolicited advice this week is go make some choices and follow your gut. You might meet some cool people like Lee. Oh, and follow us on Instagram. Okay, thanks. So we detoured, but Spencer had said, let's go have lunch. I have this outside-the-box idea. And we went and sat down, and he said, so we've known each other for a long time. We'd been working with Spencer for several years. And he said, you know, we've been wanting to start a division of our, at our firm mm-hmm. um, that is dedicated to impact investing and working with people who um, probably are, are creative by nature and – maybe a tip a little bit more liberal, mm-hmm. but that who have an interest in, you know, growing their money, but doing it through kind of opportunities that are also good for the world and good for society. And, and, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, either investing in renewable energy or sustainable agriculture, or affordable housing or what this is. And I just like the, like the light bulb exploded, you it's know, so cool. I was like, yeah, that's cause, and it's something that Amy and I had kind of been doing, you know, with our own investments mm-hmm. for a time was saying like, look, we, we don't believe in this company or we don't like what this company's doing. And like, we, we want to be out of that. And like, why can't, you know, the idea of having someone who was actually focused on working with people like us who had this kind of like desire to, you know, grow our money through things that we believed in. Would, I mean, if somebody had offered that to me, we would have like jumped on that. Yeah. And so when Spencer approached me and said, like, we've been wanting to start this division for like three years, but we've never been able to find the right person to do it because we want somebody that has a finance background. We want somebody that has a network within the creative community. We want somebody who's entrepreneurial. You're and like, he's like, check, check, all of check. your <laughs> experiences and skill set and education like match this. And he was like, you're kind of like this like, you know, unicorn that you know, we've been trying to find. And he's like, I know it's probably like never. And like the idea of like being like a financial advisor, I was like, I'm not sure I can wrap my head around that. <laughs> like, that was never something like I yeah. thought not I would the do. the plan, yeah. Um, but I just really, I kind of like, I really sat down and I, I did like a lot of kind of homework on it and a lot of meditating and a lot of, you know, thinking about it. And, and like I was trying to find some reason not to do it, mm-hmm. you know, like why? Like you know, I want to poke every hole I can, and I, I, I couldn't find like a good reason not to do it. I was like, this actually like marries a lot of my skills really mm-hmm. well. It keeps me like in an entrepreneurial position um, where like because it's like I get to basically build my own business within the framework of this kind of like larger firm, and it's something that like I really like in terms of investing, and it's like something I believe in and I get to work with people. And like, at the end of the day, like 
you know, I remember telling Amy, I was like, Spencer has done more for us. He has changed our lives more than any stupid movie I ever did, <laughs> like did for anybody. Yeah. And so I was like, like, why am I like, what's key? What's holding me back? Is it just the, is it just the ego? this ego? Is it just this identity thing? And that's interesting. And it, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to, like, I feel like the universe has presented me with like this opportunity and like, Spencer and Russell, who are the co-founders of the firm, and everybody that worked there is just like the loveliest human beings. And you and already had a relationship with them. Yeah, it wasn't and like it was just like blind. how big of a firm is it? Sorry again. Well, when I started, we we managed about three hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. and we were about nine people. And today, three years later, we are closing in on about eight hundred million dollars, oh and we're up to like fifteen or sixteen people now. Wow, that's great! Wow. So we've been growing really, really fast. I like to think it's all. I was going to say, me. is it your? Yeah. Is, but, it you? <laughs> is it because of you? Are you, you, are you the unicorn that they needed? <laughs> what, did, um, what did your wife have to say about this? Because yeah. she's in the business. Yeah. So she, was she like, are you crazy? You leaving this? What do you know? She, she was like, like, oh, you're unhappy. You are so. She, she had been telling me for years. She was like, you. I know you think you like this, but you don't. Mm-hmm. She's like, it is not amazing. A good she fit could tell you. you. That's good. And so, yeah. you know, she was definitely supportive. And, you know, I think neither of us really knew how this was going to work mm-hmm. out. Um, but I just really was like, I'm going to put my faith in the fact that I think these are all like really incredible people and honest. And it's going to be like a nurturing environment. Like I, they want me to succeed. It's not like a throw me to the wolves type mm-hmm. of thing. So like I just felt so supported that I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this because I want to work with these people more mm-hmm. than anything else. And, uh, so yeah, I think it's been almost three years now and it has just gone, it's grown so much faster than I could have ever imagined. So exciting. I kind of, I have like a a goal for myself that Mm -hmm. I want to like, you know, either I want to grow my business by X million each year. And I think I'm like already where I wanted to be at like year six or something after three after three wow yeah it's just it's gone exponent and then like depending on how a couple different things go with some of the people that i work with like that may accelerate even faster due to like just you know whether it's people you know selling their own companies Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. um but it's just been really fantastic because now i get to kind of i I work with like actually a number of clients that are like relationships that i had from my producing days whether studio executives or agents managers directors photographers composers so like a lot of creative people um but yeah everything we do for the most part is not only you know going to grow your investment because that's important because everybody's got a plan for a retirement day at some point Mm -hmm. but at the same time um doing it in a way that like we really feel like we're we're making some positive impact Mm -hmm. in terms of just you know not supporting things like weapons not supporting fossil fuels not you know, doing these things that are either environmentally unsustainable or are harmful to people. And do large. you rep like that's your core goal at the company? Mm-hmm. Is the whole company? No, our whole company is not impact focused. Like, not impact. So focused. we, you know, yeah. we still have, you know, most of the people that I work with or, or other advisors um, are more conventional mm-hmm. in their investments but the the nice thing is and the thing that i'm so excited about is now that we run like a socially responsible mm-hmm. we run like five different socially responsible models and then we have all our conventional models for three years in a row our socially responsible models are also outperforming our conventional of models. course nice. they are so like it's just really you know there has been like i think there's been a really big tipping point in the mm-hmm. finance world where it sounds too good to be true like how can you know, how can these investments in, you know, whatever it is, make me just as much money mm-hmm. as the bad stuff? Because isn't the bad, like... Isn't the bad you know, stuff supposed to be more yeah. profitable? <laughs> shouldn't yeah. it? Like, Sugar tastes better. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's That's been, how dad did it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been absolutely the case that, yeah. like, you know, our whatever SRI model is, you know, outperformed its equivalent by, like, sometimes two or three percentage points. Oh, it's so it? encouraging, yeah, isn't it? Amazing. Like that just gives me hope. Give me yeah. an example of uh, something that you invest in versus someone at your company that, you know, the impact versus non-impact. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, at the most basic level, um, you know, obviously like we we use stock, we use, I, I, we're, I should say like our firm is an independent firm, so we're not tied to 
like a Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley right. or any kind of big brokerage. And that's uh, by design um, because a, we have a higher standard. We have a, hi- a higher fiduciary standard, mm-hmm. meaning like we have a legal obligation to do what's best for our clients where people that are in that kind of brokerage world have, it's a different standard of fiduciary. Mm-hmm. It's a suitability standard. So we are kind of holding ourselves, we're holding our feet to kind of the hottest fire to a mm-hmm. certain degree. Um, but we, as an independent company, we can also really use any investment under the sun. So we don't just use stocks and bonds, mutual funds. Um, we also do a lot of investing in private real estate. We do investments in venture capital. We do investments in um, a lot of alternative, you know, alternative income investments. Um, you know, really, kind of anything that we come across that you know can make we feel money. like is is yeah. a, is a, is a sound investment. Um, so, like one example would be. Um, for stocks and bonds, which are kind of like the lowest hanging fruit, which really anyone can invest in stocks and bonds. So mm-hmm. in that world, I only use funds that have an ESG mandate. What and ESG mean? stands for- We don't know anything. So. Environment, Social, and Governance. Okay. So there are now a lot of research firms out there that you know basically go in and research all these companies and they'll assign scores to whether it's Apple or Facebook or Microsoft and they'll give them an E score for like what's their carbon footprint, mm. how are they for the environment, what's their S score, so how are they, how do they treat their workers, what is their product doing, is it a dangerous product, is it good for people, mm-hmm. is it helpful in some way, or governance, which is more about like how the company is run internally. You know, does the, is there a, a independent chairman of the board who is separate from the CEO to provide oversight for the CEO? Are there, ta- are there, are there accounting practices transparent? You know, a lot of those kind of like mechanics yeah. on actually how you run your company. Do they give the score to every stock in the, or, um, or is it just for really big companies? They, they, I think it's continuing to widen out. It's definitely not everyone because there's just so many publicly traded stocks. Right. Like, sure. You just, like, I don't think you can't to, yeah. do, you can't cover that much ground, but they kind of, I would say they cover like 90% of like everything that you would be interested in okay. probably owning. Right. Um, so based on like those high scores, then different mutual funds that have an ESG mandate, you know, will only pick the top scoring environment or the top scoring social or governance. So all the companies that make up that mutual fund, you can know, you know, for the most part, have high ESG scores. Mm-hmm. So there's always like one that you might not agree with because there's a lot of subjectivity that goes mm-hmm. into like, well, what is socially responsible? Right, yeah. right. You might think something's socially responsible or someone else might not. Mm-hmm. And that is gray. And so like for that reason, I always tell people when we're using like best in class ESG type of analysis, like you can't allow perfect to be the enemy of good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And this is better than doing nothing. Right. So that's kind of like the most basic level. But from there, once we start moving out of like publicly traded equities and bonds into things like real estate or alternatives, we can start to get really, really focused in terms of like the impact, mm-hmm. you know, like we'll invest. Where you're buying, yeah, how or, that could affect the neighborhood. Exactly. Right. So in the real estate world where we use a lot of multi, we buy a lot of like, or invest in a lot of multifamily housing projects, like big apartment complexes right. across the country, which are fantastic. Like we've had a great experience with them and for my impact side um we do a lot in the affordable housing space so looking for you know properties that are going to be still provide great returns but at the same time are targeted on preserving like workforce and affordable housing because Mm -hmm. one of the big problems that's driving homelessness Mm -hmm. is just the lack of affordable housing and as these affordable housing units start to fall off it's a lot more profitable for developers to come in and build a new luxury condominium instead of you know main kind of like maintaining the affordable housing and keeping those rents kind of like in line with the median incomes of that community Mm -hmm. so you know that would be like one example of of how we kind of combine sure. impact with a great investment. And right. you know, you can still go get, you know, mid-teens annually through investing in an affordable housing deal just like you can with, you know, more traditional kind of luxury type of deal. Right. Um another example. Mid-teens would, investment return you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So And is there like an equal amount of risk there? Or is that yeah, hard to... Yeah, I mean, there's always risk. Right. There's risk putting your money under your mattress. Totally. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, do we so do that? <laughs> there's, so you have to like decide like which kind of risk you're right. most comfortable with. Right. You know? um, 
there and it's like another example there's a fund we use called greenbacker mm-hmm. and all greenbacker does is solar and wind so if you put twenty five thousand dollars into a greenbacker investment your money is then they use it to go buy an operating solar and wind farm that's already outputting electricity and already selling that electricity back to municipalities and through like 20-year fixed rate contracts and it's really low volatility and you get eight percent a year greenbacker you know you get like seven ish it's like seven ish in income but then usually get like a little bit more in growth okay so we Um, need to sign up for this and (laughs) and it's and you know that every penny is going to solar and wind and that's like that feels good we just the one that i'm like most excited about is one that we just uh approved that's a sustainable agriculture fund so you know one of the biggest drivers of you know environmental decline is is big agriculture Mm -hmm. and i can't remember the number i used to know it's something like 70% 70% or maybe even more, maybe it's like 90% of the farmland in the U.S. isn't used for growing food for you it's to for, eat. It's, it's for, for cows, cattle. Right. Yeah. you know, it's, it's grazing. It's nuts. And that's where all like the corn and soy is going. Mm-hmm. So this fund, uh, basically they buy conventional farmland that has just been used kind of like with tons of pesticides and everything else. And then they essentially, they buy it for cheap and then they, through like basically a three-year process, convert it to organic. Right. And then they lease it out to local farmers who need the job and need the, you know, the space to grow their crops. And they, um, they kind of like basically say, we want to encourage you to grow like a high profit margin crop, mm-hmm. like blueberries mm-hmm. or wine grapes or strawberries. So, but they put it on like completely, like it's like a four cycle rotation where it goes from grain to pasture or yeah, grain to pasture land to, no, grain to vegetable to patch, pasture land mm. and back to grain. Oh, wow. So by doing that, they're able to like rotate crops that, you know, take nutrients from the top level mm. of the soil and then alternate them with crops that go deeper and take nutrients from the bottom of the soil and then replenish wow. the soil. And so just improve the quality yeah, over improve. time. So yeah. I like to like tell people it's kind of like a real estate deal where they buy an apartment building that has kind of like run down. They yeah. increase the value of the property itself by converting it to organic. And then they increase the revenue streams by house having organic blueberries that they sell to Driscoll's. Right. And, you know, you and, and like that one, like, you know, their target return is 13% per year. And so like, there's all these like amazing opportunities out there to like, go out and get really good investments (laughs) (laughs) and do it stuff that like you're excited about. And And this is like, so you, in in the last three years you have been, so this is like a really creative financial position. Like you get to go out there and find these sustainable practices that people can make money. Yeah. Has that been a fun process to Oh yeah. No, it's honest. It's been like, it's just been like so great. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, the response is, I feel like the, you know, the proof is always in the pudding Mm -hmm. and my client base has been growing, you know, more rapidly than I ever would have guessed. Right. And, you know, people seem really happy with kind of like what they're getting access to and, a lot of people are like, this seems too good to be true. Like, where's, right. you know, the cynic, the shoe's going to drop. Yeah. Where yeah. is it? And like, you know, honestly, like I, I tell people like, I'm not putting you in anything that I'm not investing my own money into, right. or I'm not recommending to my parents or right. like, you know, like you can lay your head on the pillow yeah, at night and you yeah. feel really good about these and decisions. And say like, yeah. you know what, if, if I'm telling my dad he needs to invest in this, I believe in it. Right. <laughs> yeah. you <know>? Right. <laughs> so, we're not here to solicit clients for Lee's company. No, this is a podcast about careers and career choices, and Lee's an amazing guy. Yes. But if you are interested, we're going to put his company contact information in the show notes. Reach out, talk to him. He's great. He knows a lot. Yeah, whatever you do, don't take investment advice from us two dingbat podcasters. Hell no. <laughs> I, I think I have about around 50 different kind of like households that I work with Mm -hmm. now. And I honestly, I don't have like a single client that I work with that I don't actually really like. Um, So it's just, it's been a real joy getting to work with a lot of good people instead Mm -hmm. of a lot of crummy people. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, That on a very basic level has been nice. Yeah, And like really getting to see, you know, the, the impact that what I'm doing now has on an individual life. Mm-hmm. Um, finance and especially personal finance is 
there's so many like crazy rules around like how to do this and like how do you get a tax write-off for that and like what does this mean mm-hmm. and we had some good friends at our house a couple weeks ago and we were kind of talking one night and I, I said hey do you have an IRA or do you have anything set up and and they were like nah we, you know we don't even really know like how to what is like how what is an IRA mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> And so like, I pull out my little nerd calculator, which I love to pull out, by the way. You're and, a nerd calculator? Oh, total nerd calculator. It's, so it's not just your iPhone? No, it is my iPhone, okay. but it's my nerd calculator on my okay. iPhone. Okay. And um, you know, one of the things on it is time value of money, which mm-hmm. is essentially like, what is a dollar today worth 20 years from now mm-hmm. You know, at a fixed rate of return? I showed my friend, I was like, if you and your wife each just do like $6,000 a year, that's not a lot of money, right? right. If you do $6,000 a year, every year mm-hmm. until you're 65 and if it grows at like let's just call it eight percent which is like a pretty reasonable rate of return guess how much money you'll have when you turn 65 i want to know and they were like <laughs> i don't know like maybe like 20 dollars <laughs> <laughs> and i turned the calculator around and it was over a million dollars yeah and their jaws dropped they're like oh what are we doing what yeah and the next day, we opened an IRA for him. <laughs> nice. uh, and we need to he, open an IRA. You know, yeah. put, <laughs> he put his six thousand dollars in, and he's off the races. It, they're they're not clients. Like right. they're just friends who like I I wanted to help because I care about him and I love and him. You and you know what like you're family. doing, and, yeah. And being able to you know to know that they're going to have that additional mm-hmm. security and they got to do their end of the deal, you know, like they got to put the money. They got to like make the contributions yeah. every year, and it's got to be invested right. Just knowing that one conversation is could like make a difference dramatically yeah. change not only their lives, but the lives of their daughter. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, this, that probably feels you know? better than, you know, premiering it. No, it's so much better. Like, <laughs> I thought I wanted to stand on the stage at Sundance. And well, like, I, mean, I really just want to help my friends. Maybe you, you could know? finance a really great movie that has like a social impact. Well, I have you know? thought like there may be a yeah. day. Who knows? And I think now I, I can't really tell you the last time I watched a movie. <laughs> really? Come on. I just don't. I mean, now, like, honestly, yeah. I'm so much more interested in learning mm. and in growing and in like, I, I, my life is too short. I don't have enough time on this planet, and I certainly don't have enough time to like spend it watching television. Yeah. When you, when you're so invested in like your yeah. own personal development and self care yeah. and just living the best life you can, I yeah. think you know. Yeah. Things, I love sh- podcasts. Shifts. Yeah, podcasts are great. You know, I love podcasts. Yeah, there's a great podcast that I started listening to called "It's Complicated," mm-hmm. which oh, yeah. is mm-hmm. about like where life and money get messy, yeah. essentially. Ooh, I love and, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just you like you should I, listen to that. Yeah, yeah. and it's f- and, and I think also part of it is just being you know almost 45 now. Yeah, and like yeah. while I I I love and respect that 25 year old kid that yeah. came out here to win an Oscar, I'm not that 25 year old kid anymore. And, and you know that 25 year old kid that came out to win an Oscar, it's the same person mm-hmm. with the same drive, you know, but just with new the, uh, more cr- mature uh, ideals. The credits transfer. Credits transfer. We mm. keep saying that Jason and Barry. Doesn't we Jason interviewed Barry. them, and Jason had this great thing that all of his credits transfer. Everything mm-hmm. he's ever done is it's, is led to where he is now. It's yeah. really it's so true. Really true. And like I see that, you know, just even in like in this new career. Like Amy and I were just talking about that the other day. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know one of one of the people that I worked with before, who I you know has also since kind of left the film business. Um, now that we're working together like I'm working with him to try and help him figure out like how does he navigate this new world and, yeah and and so it does it has all led to one place mm-hmm. you know like honestly now I kind of can't imagine I'm just like I wish I had discovered this way earlier know. you know but now maybe like the the longevity of this new career yeah. because it's new yeah still will take you into your retirement age with yeah. pure joy the yeah. whole time and that's the other great thing about this is I'm never going to age out of it. Yeah. I'm never going to lose my job. Right. Because like, you know, when I started working at Regatta with Spencer and Russell, like the first thing I said was, we're not your bosses. Yeah. Your clients are your bosses. We're just here to like help you grow your business. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, as long as your clients are happy, mm-hmm. we're happy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to that end, like I expect that somewhere along the way, like a client will leave or, mm-hmm. you know, two. But like for the most part, you know, it's pretty sticky. Like, I think once people kind of, like, are happy, 
Like it's not something that they want to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't, you're not you're not doing high risk like mm-hmm. volume tra- day trading or anything like that. Yeah, right? it's more about like oh yeah, no no, we're yeah, not day not traders doing, at, yeah, all. at all. I mean like when I buy it's, something like I'm like I'm buying this for thirty forever. years, yeah. right? You know, like unless something fundamentally changes the company right. and all of a sudden like I don't believe it anymore. Yeah. Right? Um, I have, you know, I get to set my own schedule. I get to work with people that I want to work with. You don't have with. an office anymore? I don't even have to go to an office anymore. <laughs> yeah. like, we were talking about that right before we started. Yeah. Wait, I have a, a heady question. So when you're, because you're, um, you're investing in the future mm-hmm. for the most part, for all, all of your clients, mm-hmm. where, where does your, where do you lay with like only being like right where your feet are, being in the present moment? Do you know, Ooh, like, so it's kind of a deeper question, a more soulful question about investing for the future. But mm-hmm. that's kind of this future tripping thing that I have a mm-hmm. hard time with because I like to just be right where my feet are and be right. present and be active in where I am now. I wonder how that works into your well. What I would process. say, what I would say, and this kind of goes back to just my own stress about money. Like when I was still producing, I remember every year I used to like compare it to like that scene in Indiana Jones where he's like running from the boulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every year, like, cause you know, Amy also is a writer director. And so like, mm-hmm. we were, we we're both in this boat of like, are we going to, are we going to work this year? <laughs> yeah, totally. You totally. know, like we, are we going to make a million dollars this year? Or are we going to like have to sell the house? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's it going to be? And the stress of that, like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't see the future. Mm-hmm. All I could see was today. And, I, I I remember when I started this job, I remember saying to Amy, I feel like I have a vision again. I feel like I have like a 20-year vision mm. that I, I couldn't have. I That's never a good way of have. putting it. Yeah. And so to me, investing for the future, hopefully what I'm doing is allowing people to have peace of mind and de-stress in so that they can be present mm-hmm. today. So that they're not stressing about like, how am I going to pay for college for my kids? Or how am I going to, you know, what happens when like I, I can't work anymore? Or right. And yeah. so like that that would be kind of like how I would round that. Round that out. circle. Yeah. Solid answer. Right Very there. solid. Having yeah. a vision. So not future tripping, but yeah. just being prepared. But yeah. I guess also like when you're planning for the future, it's not just about you. It's really for your children mm-hmm. and grandchildren and yeah and yeah. so yeah and to that end like you know a lot of what we do is it, it is multi-generational mm-hmm. you know and we do like we have a division in our firm that focuses on setting up trusts and estates for people mm-hmm. um you know there's it which again is just like another way to like i think it's a wonderful thing for people to do especially like when you own property mm-hmm. in california because the last thing you want to do when you know you're in the midst of grieving the loss of someone is then have to like suffer through the probate process right. both the expense of that and also kind of the headache of having to go through that and the time and right. so i think most people are pretty cynical about mm-hmm. finance especially you know after hearing stories about people like bernie madoff and you yeah know, greedy ceos it's also very complicated and, to a lot of people that i i mean i don't understand how right and how do i know what you're telling me is like you know what I mean? good for me like you're and, using weird language that yeah yeah uh, you know like all these like terms you hear are that I'm kind of picking up every now and then I still don't fully understand. So it makes perfect sense. Why yeah. people you just don't put a lot of faith. It. Yeah. And, you basically yeah. have to pick someone you like. Yeah. And like, so. and that's, you know, like the thing that I have always found the most satisfaction in life with is intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. And like the thing that I think probably I like more than anything is like for a lot of people, you know, like I, I'm kind of becoming a family member, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, you know, when people are talking about their money and, how much they make and how much they've saved and what their net worth is like, you know, it's a pretty exposed position. It's to a be very in. intimate yeah. like conversation, kind of the most yeah. private thing that we all. Yeah. Keep besides literally standing naked in front of a doctor, right. yeah. which you do with your clients, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. That's a, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cough. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, you get to know people like yeah. pretty closely. Or is your you company know? a business management, like day to day company, or just financial advice? You know, we we don't have a business management mm-hmm. division at this point, but I I wouldn't say it's not something we're haven't considered. Right. Like I do think that there's as as we're starting to you know grow more and more rapidly, and as you know some of our our clients have 
had some really big successes. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would, I could see us evolving into that just out of client need, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. So, which is also a space that's pretty exciting to me. I've never like been that person that like, I want to have like 200 clients right. that all have little bits here and there and I'm spread so thin. You know, I, I kind of see like 20 years from now, I would like to have, you know, maybe 25 clients that we've all grown together. I've known you forever. Like we're part of the family and, and one of them owns a vineyard in Italy that you all go to <laughs> exactly. once a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I can give like, you know, just really like great service to right, like a handful right. of people. And that's my business. That's so, amazing. Yeah. And, and I can do it forever. Yeah. You know, I could do it if I want to do it till I'm 90. Right. Maybe not 90. Maybe but like, not 90. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, and that was the other thing about like the entertainment business that I always was like the ticking clock of yeah. aging out. Yeah. You know, which is crazy to be talking about as a 45 year old. I know. But, but yeah, I feel like producers don't age out as much as, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that business that well, but it doesn't seem well, that. I think like keeping your finger on the pulse. Yeah, which sure. just gets harder the, and harder. Yeah. It gets harder yeah. and harder because we, you know, our way is the only way we know and the way we want to stick yeah. with, yeah. you know? Yeah. Our music is better and our, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. you, I think age out just based on like not being interested in what's the new stuff coming in. Yeah. Like I could care less about new TikTokers and new actors yeah. coming in right now. You yeah. Know? There's anyway. also got to be a limit on the amount of stories you can tell, too. I keep thinking about how, how many new stories can people I come don't know. Up with. I don't think there's... There, one thing I've discovered about doing this podcast is that everybody has a story. Everybody has a really cool story. Yeah, that's true. You know, therefore... A lot of colors out there and yeah, combined in different there's ways. There's a limitless and, amount of stories to tell. It's just like how well yep. those stories can be told. For you. It, mm-hmm. I will say like that, I, you know, and I don't know if this is something that anyone else who's gone through a career change has expressed, but going mm-hmm. back to like that concept of identity Mm -hmm. like to me that was the only thing that that was the hardest thing like in the change yeah was kind of going like but wait a minute if i'm not a movie producer anymore what am i I? like where's my value i'd always felt like producing made me feel exceptional Mm -hmm. you know and making that transition was a real roller coaster. It was a lot of ups and downs, and sure. and this is great. What am I doing with myself? Is this who I am? Like mm-hmm. there was a lot of those big kind of like questions swirling around, just existential crisis. Mm-hmm. And it and it wasn't short. It took a good year or longer, maybe two years, to really work through all that. Um, but again, that was just my ego getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Now and this, that's forty years of ego building yeah. up. You know, <laughs> it's it's that's a hard yeah. habit to break. But honestly. It has been the best thing that ever happened to me. So nice and to hear. I just I work with great people. Mm-hmm. I love working with clients. I believe in what I do. You're an I example. Act- of, I actually get paid. Yeah, you get paid. <laughs> you get paid. You're an example of reinventing yourself in the second half of your life. Yeah. You know, like that it it you can find something that is is a culmination of everything you've done up to that point yeah. that like really can bring you joy yeah and like if you could only see lee's face right now you could see the golden unicorn like smile <laughs> yeah it's so true it's, it's so I, real i also just think it's so funny like how much we get in our own way sometimes <laughs> yes <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's the yeah it's the biggest problem yeah. for all of us yeah did you have any imposter sort of syndrome? Oh, yeah. Because you know, that's a big jump. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fake it, totally. We talk about fake it till you make it Fake it till you make it. It's like our, like, that's our a, phrase. That's got to be kind of a weird thing to go through for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember when I first started, A, I just was like, I feel like I'm like walking around my dad's clothes. Like, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know what this is. What is this button down shirt? Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, I was just like, why would anyone like trust me with like their life savings? Like, That's a weird feeling, I would assume. Oh my but, gosh, it felt so oh, big. Yeah. And like I was just like, how am I ever supposed to like convince people that I can do this, you know? And and it was like, I mean, it was slow in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? Like yeah. I had to go, I had to study, I had to basically go back and do like a graduate course mm-hmm. to pass it's called the series sixty-five, mm-hmm. which is just says that you know what you're doing. Know a little bit about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we work in teams a lot. So, like, I can always turn. And I'm always, like, really clear with people. I'm like, hey, there's a lot I don't know. And if I don't have an answer for you, like, I can go to somebody smarter than me and I'll get the answer for you. Right. So don't expect for me to, like, know everything because I don't. Um, And people do the same with me now, which is, like, hey, I have a client who's, like, super focused on impact or ESG. Like, 
what should I do here? And so now I'm actually at the point where I can be like, here's the fun you want to use mm. and this and that. Cool. And, um, and there's a lot of storytelling that goes mm-hmm. with this too. You know, it's not just about like, okay, you own this mutual fund and there's this many stocks in it. But hey, did you know that that company actually, like this is what they're doing behind the scenes. Yeah. They found out that, you know, one of their companies they invest in, it's a food company, you know, was using in their supply chain fisheries from the South China Sea that were employing slave labor. And when they found this out, they actually threatened divestment to pull all their money out, essentially, if this company didn't go in and, like, basically cut it all out. And you know what happened? That company went in. They eliminated over 30% of their fisheries. Wow. Everything that had to do with, you know, with slavery, essentially, Mm -hmm. and put in place auditing going forward so that they know they'll never employ another vendor that is using slave labor. And it's like, that's real world good stuff. And yeah, you might not see that reflected like in the handful of companies that are in this mutual fund, but like that's the power of what this company is doing behind the scenes. And that's awesome. really freaking cool. That's like, a I great love that. story. That's yeah. amazing. Um, so right. how much money can we give you today? <laughs> give me as think, much Steph? as you want. Get the checkbook out. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Um, well, like, <laughs> well, so we have one last question for you. All right. See how it is. We have the first one and the last one and everything yep, else is just like whatever. Um, Everyone's typically answered it already, but I don't know. How do you define success? Uh, how do I define success? I would define success as there's personal success, which I think at the end of the day is just feeling kind of good about myself, mm-hmm. which I think is like something that a lot of people have a really hard time feeling for most of their lives. So yeah. like being in a place where like you're feeling like what you're doing is helpful and makes you happy and, you know, has a future. Like mm-hmm. to me, that's success. The kind of second answer to that is, you know, it's, it's leaving it better than you found it. You know, I really think that the work we're doing now and, it, you know, is leaving it better than we found it. And, you know, hopefully that's going to, in some little tiny way, you know, create a better world for my kids, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if you'd asked me that question 20 years ago, you know, it would have been all about like, oh, standing on the stage yeah. and getting that award and yeah. feeling the validation of external all love. Yeah. Adoration. And, and- I guess really that's it. It's, it's a transition from this, the, the concept of success being external love and validation to transitioning it to just internal mm-hmm. love and validation. Still validation, but yeah. but yeah, from a different point of view, which is yeah. great. But knowing it within yeah, and not needing the validation of others yeah. to mm-hmm. feel successful. Great. That's a beautiful answer. Well, thanks, Lee, for talking to us. <laughs> Thank you, Oh, my Lee. pleasure. Thank you for, for letting me. Yeah. It's so um, nice to hear your story. And we'll put your company in the, you know, the credits and stuff so they can talk to you if they want to. Yes, that'd be the show notes, and I will be writing you a check this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> awesome, um, man. Right. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. See ya. That was episode 12. 12? We've done 12? 12. That's eight more than I thought we would do. <laughs> uh, I hope you guys liked it. Rate, review, subscribe, tell people about it. Uh, email us at workshoppingpod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>